Come on, let's give it up for the Lord. Hey, isn't it good to lift our voices high to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, isn't it? Come on, let's give another shout of praise to God. Man, it's so great to see you. It blesses my heart to sing you, to, to hear you singing to our great God. Well, welcome everyone. My name is Omar, and I have the honor of serving as a lead pastor here at CF. And uh, I want to take the time to welcome all of our campuses right now. Joining us all the way from Northern Miami in Doral, all the way to Homestead family. Let's go ahead and show some love to them. They're watching us live all throughout Miami, as well as everyone online, and especially our first-time guests. Listen, we are just honored that you've come to study God's Word and to worship God. So thank you so much uh, for being here. Well, we are in our second week of a series called Back to the Future, where we have been going through Mark chapter 13, called the Olivet Discourse. And we have been seeing how in this chapter, the Lord begins to give some prophetic teachings about the future. And last week, we learned about present history, where we're living in right now. And today, we're going to be learning about this time in the future called the Great Tribulation. And so I am ready and excited to dive into God's Word. I hope you are too. And so wherever you find yourself, let's, let's open up our Bibles to Mark chapter 13, verse 8 and 19, and you can follow with me as I read, all right? Listen to what God's Word says. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines. But these are the beginning of the what? Of the what? Yeah, of the birth pains. It's the beginning of this process. For in those days, there will be such tribulation, such suffering, as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be again. That is God's word. You can go ahead and take a seat, everybody. Now, if you were with us here this past Easter weekend, at the beginning of my teaching, I shared with us that me and my wife were, are expecting our second child. In fact, I have a picture there of my beautiful family, yeah? And uh, my little baby girl, Camila, she held up a sign to announce that, yeah, only child expiring October 2021. And yeah, she's really excited. But here's the thing. Ever since Easter, when we announced this, We've been getting the same question over and over and over. And that is, what is the gender of the baby? And so today, can we have a little fun? Yes, we announce this, yeah? So, so when I say the gender, if you think it's that particular gender, I want you to just make a lot of noise and just make, you know, and, and make it known that that's what you think, all right? So how many of you think we're having another baby girl? All right, all campuses, all right. How many of you at all campuses think we're having a baby boy? <laughs> all right, well, let's see. Can we get a little drum roll? There you go. The color blue is a baby boy, color pink is a little baby girl. Ready? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're excited. The Gorilla name is living on, right? So we're, we're excited about that. So be praying for us as we look forward to him, to welcome him in later in October. But follow me here. 
Because the entire pregnancy process, right, it all zeroes in to the birth, the future birth of our son. But family, I don't have to tell you that this process is not only a long process, but folks, it could be a very painful process. And just a reminder, let me just remind us of the process, right? Because in the first trimester, you begin, the, the, the woman begins to have what we call a morning sickness, right? They, she begins to be nauseous. And the reason for that is that because the body is starts to prepare and hormones are increasing. So as more the hormones increase, the more the, 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 the woman becomes nauseous. And so the first, in the first trimester, that's what you have. Then we go to the second trimester, and now the body is beginning to get ready for that future birth. And so ligaments are starting to stretch, and there's more pain, more discomfort. In fact, Ashley right now is going through that moment right now in the second trimester. So she's already experiencing, you know, all the pains that come along with the body getting ready for that future birth. Then we go to the third trimester. And now the baby is almost full grown. But now there is more pain. There's more discomfort. They're harder to sleep. Now you have all those weird-looking pillows that you try to accommodate, but you still can't sleep, right? The, you know, our, our poor wives, right, as they go through, through these things. But anyway, so that's the third trimester. And family, even though it is a long and painful process, nothing compares, right, to the last moments before the birth of our son. Because every woman right before birth goes into this series of pains called what? Contractions, yeah. And folks, at the moment that that starts, right before the birth of, of, of that child, not only do the pains increase in the level of intensity, but they also increase in the level of frequency. And so the closer that we get to the birth of our son, the pain and the discomfort will increase in frequency and intensity. And then our child will come. And family, let me just bring all that over to our teaching for today because, folks, what an image of what's going to take place as we get closer to the arrival of the Son of God. Amen. And by that I mean that just like, listen, the pain will increase in frequency and intensity as we get closer to the birth of our Son. Listen, just like that. And here's the big takeaway as we dive into God's Word today. Before the future arrival of the Son of God, we're going to see an increase of God's judgment in terms of not only frequency, but also in terms of intensity. And family, the Lord called this short period the Great Tribulation. And who knows, maybe you're out there right now, one of our campus, watching us online, and you may be thinking, well, Omar, what exactly does, entail, does the Great Tribulation entail? And how do we know if we're in the Great Tribulation, if we're entering the Great Tribulation? Well, we're going to find out from Mark chapter 13, all right? So if you have your Bibles at our campuses, go to Mark chapter 13. You can fire up your Christ Fellowship apps and follow there along with us. And today I have three thoughts for us about the Great Tribulation, all right? So write this down as point number one. First off, the Great Tribulation will have clear signs, clear signs. Now let's go to the passage for today and listen to what it says. It says, for in those days, there'll be such tribulation, there'll be such suffering as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never 
will be again. Now, slip into the scene for a moment because in Mark 13, the Lord begins to reveal to the disciples and to us today here at Christ Fellowship, right, what the future holds. And as I shared last week, um, there is a series, you know, the future history, he breaks it on into three different sections. Now, let me just show you a bird's eye view of what we're covering. Last week, we covered verse one, verses 1 through 13, which covered present history. And so I want to encourage you, listen, if you were not able to tune in or come to church last week, totally fine. But I want to encourage you, go to our website at cfmiami.org and watch that teaching because it will give you a lot of insight as to where we're going in this series, and it will also help you kind of view things in the proper angle. So I want to encourage you, if you did not see it, go back and watch it. It'll be very, very helpful. Now today, we're going to be covering verses 14 through 23, which is what we call the Great Tribulation. And then in verses, um, in verses 24 through 27, Jesus covers his second coming, which we'll be covering that next week. So this is like a, the bird's eye view of where we're going of the Olivet Discourse, just to have you have a, a good understanding of it. And so the Lord is warning us that there will be a period at the end of history called the Great Tribulation, where... The wrath of God will begin to unfold, and we will never see that type of suffering ever before or even after that ever again. And so even though the, that is coming, the Lord tells us that there are some clear signs that we can look for to know that we're entering into this moment. In fact, write this down as letter A. First off, the Antichrist will be revealed. The Antichrist will be revealed. Now, listen to what Jesus says. In verse 14, it says, But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Now, throughout Scripture, and I'll give you some background, the, the, throughout Scripture, God always shows us that, that towards the end times, <clears throat> there's going to be a man who will rise into the scene, a figure whose name is, who we call the Antichrist, who will oppose God and his people and will lead the unbelieving world against the people of God. But it's interesting that in this passage, Jesus doesn't call him the Antichrist. Jesus calls him the abomination of desolation. Now, folks, what a weird thing to say, the abomination of desolation. Now, the question you may be having right now is, why would the Lord call him the abomination of desolation? Well, understand this, that when Jesus said this phrase, it was code word so that they understood that he was referring to the person that the prophet Daniel prophesied about hundreds of years before. In fact, listen to what it says in Daniel chapter 9. It says this, it says, desolations, judgment, uh, punishment are decreed, that it's coming. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on that desolator. So notice Jesus grabs the imagery here and calls them the abomination of desolation. Now, when we talk about the Antichrist, I know that there's a lot of things out in, in culture today and the, who's the Antichrist and all that. But the reality is that the Bible doesn't say much about where the Antichrist will come from. You know, some say that he may come from a confederacy of ten nations. Uh, that is why when the European Union began to form, it 
drew the attention of a lot of Bible scholars because maybe they thought, well, maybe he will rise from there. Others say he may, he may be a Jewish person. Uh, others say that he may be the Mahdi. Last week we covered uh, Islam's coming Messiah in their tradition, right? And people say, well, maybe he'll be the Mahdi. But folks, at the end of the day, here's the truth. It's all speculation because the Bible doesn't specifically say where he's coming from or what ethnicity he will be. However, there is going to be one clear sign, and it's this. Write this down as letter B, and that is that the Antichrist will stand in the holy place. Now, listen carefully to what the Lord said here. He said, but when you see the abomination of desolation, when you see the Antichrist, what's the next phrase? Standing. Standing. When you see him standing where he ought not to be. In other words, the, the, the clear sign that a particular person is in, fact the, is in fact the Antichrist is if he's standing in the most holy place. Now, the holy place, in case you're not familiar with this, is the most inner portion of the Jewish temple in the Old Testament. And folks, that is where God's presence would reside and where God would receive the sacrifices and of God's and all the procedures. Everything happened inside of that holy place. But folks, here's the issue. The Jewish temple does not exist anymore. In fact, it was destroyed back in the year 70 AD by the Romans. Which means that at some point, this temple is going to have to be rebuilt. And folks, there is already a big push by Jewish organizations to rebuild that temple. They've begun to gather stones and equipment and everything. They even have the red heifer and all these different things. They're ready to sacrifice. They're ready for that, which really becomes very exciting from a Bible a pro prophetic standpoint because once the temple is rebuilt again, it makes it possible for the Antichrist to go into the temple and to stand in it. Now, here's the big challenge. Because where the temple used to be, right, where it was destroyed, right now there is the, the, uh, a Muslim mosque called the Dome of the Rock. Right on that place, it's called, there's a, a Muslim mosque called the Dome of the Rock. And I have an aerial picture of it so you can see. This is the outline of the temple course. And so in this area right here, this is Jerusalem, right? And then this area used to be the temple. But folks, on, the actual, on this actual temple mount, they built this mosque. And inside, there is this called the foundation stone or the noble stone, which according to their Islamic tradition, this is the place where Muhammad went to heaven or started making his way toward his journey towards heaven. And so, folks, I just want to stop and just think about this for a moment. How ironic, how typical of the enemy, right, of Satan to build a mosque right in the place where the temple used to be. And, folks, right in the center where the Holy of Holies used to be, there's the, where's that rock that they believe Muhammad started his journey into heaven. Think about that. And so you may be wondering, well, how in the world are they going to convince the Muslim people 
to destroy this, this mosque. Listen, I have no clue. But here's the thing. The Antichrist will be such an influential leader, will have so much power that somehow, some way, he's going to get them to tear down this mosque and they're going to rebuild that temple. Now, here's my point of view and what I'm going to share with you how that may be possible. I get, this is conjecture. This is just me looking at things, thinking through things. This is not from the Bible. This is just me giving you a point of view, right? But here's a possibility. I personally find it hard to think that an American leader or a European leader can convince the Muslim people to tear down that mosque. I find it hard to think a Jewish person can convince the Muslim people to tear down that mosque. I mean, listen, we just saw, just a month ago, when we were still kind of in it, the tension between the Palestinians and the Jewish people. It's very tense, it's so, and, and we all know that. But a possibility is last week I covered the Mahdi, right, who is the Messi- uh, messianic figure of the, of, the, of, of the Muslim people. It's a possibility that this Mahdi that comes down the line who is, a, who is a Muslim, will convince his own people to tear down that mosque. He'll make a peace covenant. The prophet Daniel alludes that the Antichrist makes a covenant with the Jewish people for seven years. So he'll make a covenant with the people of Israel for seven years. They will rebuild that temple. And somewhere along that line, he breaks that peace covenant with them. And he enters into the holy place and proclaims himself to be God. And so, folks, that's just a possibility. But the reality is that we don't know. And so when we get there, we're going to realize, okay, how everything turned out. That's just a possibility. But here's the thing. Last week, I, I share with you that most prophecies not only have a far fulfillment, right, but they also have a near fulfillment, right? The, what we're looking at, the words of Jesus, we're looking at the fulfillment that goes all the way to the tribulation and second coming. But remember, the Lord is also talking to the disciples in that specific time, which he had another near fulfillment heading to 70 AD, which is when the temple would be destroyed. And so also, before the temple would be destroyed, what Jesus is telling them is that before the Romans come, there's going to be someone who steps into that temple and desecrates it. And it's interesting that the uh, Jewish historian Josephus, you maybe have heard that sometimes at church, the historian Josephus, he actually recorded that a year before the Romans invaded Israel, uh, Jerusalem in the year 70 AD, some Jewish zealots came into the temple, they expelled the priests from, 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 from the temple, they made it a military camp, and they did all sorts of atrocities inside of that temple a year before it was destroyed in 70 AD. And so when Jesus says, listen, when you see the temple being desecrated, listen to what he says next in verse 14. He says, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is in the house stop not go down nor enter his house to take anything. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, 
for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that it may not happen in the winter. So you see, the tendency during that time is that when you know there's an invading enemy coming to your city, the natural thing is to go inside a fortified city. But you see, the Lord in his, sovereign, in his sovereignty knew the strategy that the Romans were going to employ. And their strategy, like I said last week, was that they were going to surround the city of, of Jerusalem, cut off food and water, so that they would begin to starve to death. And once they were weak, they would go inside, destroy the temple, destroy the city, and massacre most people. And so the Lord is warning him, warning the disciples and the people at that time, hey, when you see that temple being desecrated, you run. You run to the mountains because what's coming is complete and utter destruction. And exactly the way Jesus said, that's exactly what happened, which gives us confidence that just like that happened, it's going to happen in the future. Amen? And so, you know, going, and by the way, keep in mind that strategy of surrounding you because next week we're going to cover that there's going to be a similar strategy employed uh, around the city of Jerusalem in the future. But going back to the tribulation, said, we know what the signs are, the Antichrist standing in the holy place. But what exactly, Omar, will the tribulation entail? We'll write this down as big number two. The great tribulation will bring intense suffering. Intense suffering. Now, listen to what Jesus says next. For in those days, there will be such tribulation, such suffering, as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord, listen carefully, had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And so what we're seeing here, what Jesus is telling us is that this season of suffering is going to be so intense that if God does not cut down the short of the days, every human being would die. So the question is, all right, Omar, so how long did he make it? How, I mean, or how short did he make it? Well, write this down as letter A. It seems the great tribulation will last seven years. Now, the reason that we come up with that number is because in the book of Daniel, it says the following. It says, and he shall make a strong covenant, a strong peace covenant with many for one what? One week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. Notice the temple language there. And so it seems that there's an assumption that this will last seven years and seems like the second half will be worse than the first. Again, it's an assumption because the number of weeks represents the number seven, so there has to be a number seven tied to it. But again, prophecy gives us enough that we know with certainty that something's coming, but once it happens, we'll know, okay, that's exactly how it turned out. And so as we go through this period of time, God will begin to unfold his judgment on all of the unbelieving world in a very methodical way. And here it is. Write this down as letter B. The great tribulation will have seven seal, seven trumpet, and seven bull judgments. 
Now, even though, even though Jesus here in the Gospel of Mark does not give us a lot as to what will happen in the Great Tribulation, we know that in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, Jesus gives us more information as to what's going to take place in that specific time period. Now, one of the things that we see in the book of Revelation is that God unfolds his judgment on earth in a very methodical way. It, it, it almost like in a telescopic way. Let me show you what I mean by that. Imagine, you know, we all know the telescope, right? And the way that it opens up is this way, right? You know, it expands. Now, the way that the book of Revelation paints this is that imagine that this is God's wrath, right? God's judgment. And from God's judgment, the first portion will be the seal judgments. Now, the seal judgments, okay, the seal judgments is not like a seal, like an animal seal. The seal judgment is that of an opening of a scroll, the seals of a scroll. So the first judgment is, are the seal judgments. Then... From the, from the last seal judgment will unfold the trumpet judgments. And then from the last trumpet judgment will bring about the bold judgment. So you see how it is? It's almost in a very telescopic way, in a very methodical way that the Lord unveils his judgment on earth. Now, I wish we had the time to really spend diving deep into this and all the stuff, but I want to encourage you, we don't have the time for that, but I want to encourage you, if you're interested in knowing more about this, Go to the book of Revelation from about chapter 6 to about chapter 19, and it's very graphic imagery. Uh, there's a lot of allegory there. And stuff. So when you go there, read it, but understand it's, it's very graphic imagery. But I do want us to walk out the door today at least having a good understanding of what, uh, what happens in those judgments, okay? So let me just show you some summaries of these, of, of these judgments. When it comes to the seal judgments, Scripture shows us that there's, at the outset, there's going to be a lot of wars and a lot of slaughtering of people. And so there's going to be a lot of wars, and kind of Jesus talked about that a little bit. Uh, it also says that there's going to be pestilence and famine all throughout the world at that moment. And folks, we just went through a pandemic or still in a pandemic, and even though it could have been much worse, <laughs> the reality is that it really almost fractured us. I mean, it was terrible. And so Imagine the massive pestilence, the massive famines where you cannot find food anywhere. Imagine how desperate that could be. And then the seal judgments also talk about the beginning of earthquakes and asteroids hitting the earth. And so you can see it's already a lot of uh, apocalyptic, you know, um, imagery here already. And, but here's what is important for us to know about the seal judgments. That during these, the, these judgments, a quarter of humanity will die. In fact, listen to what it says in Romans, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 6. It says this. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider name was Death. And Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. And so notice, at the first, just in the first judgment, a quarter of the population on earth is wiped out. And so just imagine the sadness, imagine the despair. Just right now at work, your friends, one out of for the four people that you know in this world will die. So that's what's going to take place in that first sealed judgment. Then, in the bold judgments, here's what, I'm sorry, in the, in the trumpet judgments, here's what happens. 
We see that now as the unfolds, there's hail and fire. By the way, it's called trumpet because the angels blow the trumpet and then a judgment comes out. Hail and fire start, uh, start coming down and there's about a third of the earth burned. You know, we've had wildfires in different parts of this country. A third of the earth will be burned. Imagine that. The sea of blood, which means a third of the sea creatures will die in this process. And there's going to be darkness. And kind of alludes to the fact that a third of the sun, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars will lose its light. And so, again, now it becomes a lot more, even worse, a lot more imagery here. Well, you need to know that during the trumpet judgments, another third of humanity dies. And so listen to what it says now in Revelation chapter 9. It says, And the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels that are by the river who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year, were released to kill a what? A third of mankind. And so listen, there are angels prepared for that specific moment in time to bring the judgment of God. And so if a quarter of humanity had died, now from the remaining three-fourths, a third of that of those people would die. So you can imagine that despair and the suffering during that time. And then comes the bold judgments. And we see that there are malignant sores on the mark of the beast. You know, during that time, it seems like those people who side with the Antichrist are going to get a mark that identifies them as part or with the Antichrist, with that leader, with that ruler. And the truth of the matter, we don't know what that is, what that sign is, but, the, but there's going to be, and Scripture says that it's almost, it seems like God is going to give a malignant tumor to every person who has that mark of the beast. And so that's something that's going to happen in their bold judgments. All sea creatures will die. Imagine all that and, and all that entails. No fresh water for anybody on earth. Sun, fire, dark, and earthquakes. And so notice, we're getting closer to the end, and things are getting more and more intense. So the question is, Omar, so how does this whole thing work? I mean, how does this whole thing end? Because it's getting worse and worse and worse. We'll write this down as letter C. The great tribulation will end at the battle of Armageddon. And so as God is pouring out these judgments on the unbelieving world led by the Antichrist, they're going to wage war on the people of God and the city of Jerusalem. And so just like back in the year 70 AD, they surrounded the, the city of Jerusalem, Scripture alludes that there's going to be about an army of 200 million people who are going to start marching towards Jerusalem, led by the Antichrist, by the false prophet, for all these people. And they are heading towards Jerusalem to make war with God and with the people of God. And folks, we see that at that time, as all those people are marching towards Jerusalem, we know that at that moment, Christ will return back to earth. And folks, he is going to bring judgment and he is going to wage war at that time. Now, you may be wondering, okay, Omar, so how is that battle going to be? You know, so what's going to happen there? And will we be there? What's going to happen? You all ready? You got to be back next week for that. (laughs) Be back next week as we cover. But, But listen, when we study something like this, you know, we talk about tribulation and all this stuff that's coming to the future. It could just almost feel so far removed, right? So conceptual about the future. But the question is, what does that mean for me right now today? Yeah. Hey, I'm sitting here right now. I'm watching right now. So what does that mean for me today? 
Well, here's what it means for us. Write this down as big number three. First of all, that the great tribulation testifies of God's certain judgment. Of God's certain judgment. See, the reason that understanding God's coming judgment is important is because when you look at what's happening in society today, when you see what's happening in politically and around the world, and folks, you see all this evil, you see all this injustice, you see all this madness, you see everything going on, somewhere along the way, you might think, well, man, you know, wh- where's God in all this? I mean, he just seems so, just so far removed. Where, where is God in all of this? And sometimes we can even start stumbling in our walk with God. In fact, listen to what the psalmist said because he went through something familiar to this. Listen to what he said. He says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly uh, slipped. In other words, in his walk with God, he almost stumbled. He almost walked away from God. Here's why. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They are not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. And they scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue stretch through the earth. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? You know, we're doing all this. You're God, does he really know what we're doing? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, and they increase in riches. And so listen carefully to what the psalmist began to say in his heart. Listen carefully. He said, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. You see, when the psalmist viewed everything that the wicked were doing, how the evil will progress, how they will continue to be protected, he came to a point in his walk with God where he thought, it's all in vain that I've pursued the Lord. It's all in vain that I've strived for purity. It's all in vain that I've pursued the righteousness of God. And church family, if we're not careful, we can easily fall into the same mindset as the mindset. Because when we see everything that's happening in the world, we think it's in vain that we've honored, that I've honored the Lord. You know, sometimes you see at work, that person who's backstabbing everyone, talking bad about them, you know, doing things at work that they shouldn't do. And they seem like they get promoted, they get uh, uh, recommended, they're the ones who are progressing in their career, and they're doing evil things, and you're here at work trying to honor God. You're, you're, you're doing your best to be the person that God has called you to be, but you don't get promoted, but they get promoted. So you might think, that's in vain. Perhaps you see your people out there living sexually immoral lives. And they go from boyfriend to boy to girlfriend and girlfriend to girlfriend and all these things. And they seem like they're having the time of their life, taking trips. They get married. They have children. And you're here. And you are single. And you are keeping yourself pure. And you are pursuing the Lord. But God hasn't brought you anyone yet. 
And so in your mind, you think, this is in vain. Everyone's getting ahead, but I'm the one pursuing God, and nothing happens in my life. Maybe you look at what's happening on the world, and you see people racketeering and defrauding people, and you're here, and you're trying to honor the Lord with what he's entrusted to you. You're trying to honor the Lord with your money. You're giving back to the Lord. You're doing what he's asked you to do, but you're not getting rich like they are. You might think it's in vain that I'm honoring the Lord. You know, you see all these dictators for years and years and years. You see politicians and all these leaders of these corporations that are doing all these type of things. And you're here, you're at church, and you're serving God. You're doing your best, but they get protected. You know, they increase, they get richer, but you're here, you're serving God. And you feel like you're not progressing in life. And so it could be very easy for us children of God to come to a moment in our lives where we think that our pursuit of God is in vain. But listen to what the psalmist said. He said this. He said, until. Everyone say until. Until. Everyone say until. Come on. Until. Yeah, until I went to the sanctuary of God. And I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by Terry. In other words, the moment that he went into the house of God and studied the word of God, studied the prophecies of God, he knew, all right, judgment is certain. And I could be at peace today. I could pursue the Lord. And everything I do as I pursue righteousness, as I pursue holiness, as I pursue the things of God, as I keep myself pure, it is not in vain. It is not in vain because God, judgment, and justice is certain. But not only that, there's another aspect of this. In fact, write this down the second portion of three. The great tribulation testifies not only of a certain judgment, but of his patient mercy. Amen. You know, sometimes when we see a long delay till God brings judgment, we think that maybe God is unaware, or maybe he's powerless to bring judgment. Quite the opposite. And listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter. He says this. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. Listen, you are the ones who are loved by God, the beloved of God. He says, do not overlook this, beloved, that with the Lord one day is at a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow in fulfilling his promise, his promise of the coming judgment, of the coming justice, as some count slowness, oh no, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any one should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Yes, God's judgment is coming. Yes, it's certain. But family, his delay in that is not weakness. His delay in that is not being unaware. His delay is evidence of his patient mercy towards us. That as many people would come and repent and understand and find forgiveness in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Listen, when you see the tribulation, yes, it may be far off. But it's testament of the grace of God. And who knows, maybe you're here today and you walk into one of our campuses, maybe you're watching online. 
and there's something in your heart that you know you're not right with God, you don't have a relationship with God, and you know you need forgiveness of God, you need the mercy of God, well, listen, he's a patient God. In fact, the Bible says that if, uh, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved, saved from your sin, saved from judgment. So the question is, Omar, how do you call on God? Is it by sitting here at church? Is it by doing good works? By some ritual you did when you were a little kid? Mm -mm. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. So there has to come a point in your life where you come before God and you no longer rely on yourself, but you put your trust in his life, death, and resurrection. And the Bible says that the moment you do that, he forgives you of all of your sins. He adopts you as a son and daughter. You start a personal relationship with God. And from that point on, you will live a life with the Lord forever and ever and ever. And you're not meant for judgment. Now you're meant for all the grace and all the blessings the Lord has for you. Why? Because your sin has been forgiven. But there has to be a point that you come before the Lord and you put your trust in Him. The question is, will you do so today? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, today we realize that the great tribulation is not only testifying of your judgment, of your righteous justice that's coming, but, Father, also of your mercy, O oh God. So thank you, O oh Lord. Let us be encouraged by that and pursue you with everything we have. And with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, for those of you who are ready to take that step, I, say, I want to lead you through a prayer. And this prayer is not a poem. It's just me helping you speak to the Lord for the very first time and When you pray this prayer, listen, you don't pray this to me, okay? You pray this to God. He is the one who loves you, who died for you, and is waiting for you with open arms. So as you pray this prayer, you pray along this with me. And if you're already saved, if you already know Christ, you have a role here right now. You pray for those people coming to know the Lord, that God would do a tremendous work in their heart. Amen? So pray this with me. Father, today I realize of everything you have planned for the rest of this world, of this history. And Father, all I know is that I want to be by your side and be yours. Today I come before you and I confess my sin and I ask you for forgiveness. And Lord, today I put my trust in you. Surrender my life with everything I have to you, O God. And Father, for the rest of my life, Lord, I pray that you would Help me to live a life that's righteous before you, godly before you, and that honors you. Help me, O oh God, to do that. Thank you, Lord, for saving me on this glorious day. I love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people say, amen. amen. Well, family, can we give it up for those who came to know Christ today? Amen. Well, listen. If you came to know Christ, I want to encourage you, before you go to your campus, stop by the Nexa booth. It'll only take a minute, but it'll help you. Uh, we can get your information. We can give you a brand new Bible. We have some stuff for you, and we can help. Our pastors will help you, take, help you take walks with the Lord. So make sure you stop by the Nexa booth, or if you're online, go to cfmiami.org slash connect. There, fill that out, and one of our pastors will reach out to you, and will help you start in your journey, right? Well, I'm going to call all the campus pastors to the front, Christ Fellowship. Be sure to be back next week as we look at the second coming of our Lord. Love you all.